we're going to do a little throwback here because we're talking about God and his goodness and we're singing about it. So I want to do a throwback. God is good. I got to do the twang, I guess. God is good all the time. There we go. Tyler, we need to do that song at some point before I die. I'm teasing. All right. First Kings 18. It's about as much as I can help you find it. It's in the Old Testament somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Okay, I'm ready now. Aaron Sorkin is a legendary director of TV series. And one of the ones that he did was The West Wing. Any West Wing fans here? Okay, uh, well, maybe not. But um, he had this, he has this thing that he does in all of his TV series. He'll do an episode called What Kind of Day Has It Been? And you always want to find out in his series, so creative, like what kind of day is it for these characters? And so the West Wing, of course, is about the president and um, President Josiah Bartlett. Oh, for the days of President Josiah Bartlett, the best of every president all put together, wrapped into one man. Uh, Martin Sheen, incredible, just great. And so one of the last episodes in season one, or the last episode in season one, is what kind of day has it been? Good, bad, mixed bag, um, you know, was it politically good? Was it something where there was failures? And so you watch the show, and it's in three acts, and you're going to see, and it's going to unfold just what kind of day it has been. And so, you know, the first act is... This uh, fighter pilot, he's shot down over Iraq, and so they got a guy in the Situation Room, very intense, and they have to go to this rescue mission, and they rescue him. What kind of day has it been so far? A good one. The second act, the space shuttle is damaged, and there's going to be an emergency repair done on it, very dangerous. And so they do the repair. What kind of day has it been? Success. Successful repair. They can continue their mission. The third act, the last act, is the president goes to this university and he's speaking in front of all of these college students and his staff is concerned, is he going to be able to relate? Should he take off his jacket, put his jacket on, sit on the stool, not sit on the stool? Is he going to be able to relate to the professors who are his age or the children or the students who were a lot younger? See, I called them children. That's not a good thing. But he has them eating out of the palm of his hand. Everybody's mesmerized with Josiah Bartlett. He was winning and winning and winning. That deserves more of a laugh. That's Donald Trump. I was, I was doing Trump. I don't know. You didn't get that? Billions and billions and billions. Maybe we should do that instead. I don't know. I mean, you guys are rough sometimes. I was planning that. I practiced that. And I didn't do it in the first service. And I wish I hadn't done it this time. <laughs> Man, that was funny. That was funny the first time I did it. And I, I did it well, and you guys didn't get it. So, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so the president and his entourage, 
they're, they're going out to the motorcade and they're doing high fives. What kind of day has it been? Has it been a good day? But you know when you watch a season finale and you look at the clock and you see there's like, you know, two minutes left and then the ominous music starts. What kind of day has it been? So far, wonderful. But lo and behold, there's two gunmen that slipped by Secret Service somehow right out in the open, a couple floors up with direct shots to the president, and they bring out pistols, okay, and they rain down bullets. There's sirens screaming. You don't know what's going on. It's chaos, and then it just goes to black. What kind of day has it been now, they ask. And what ensues is the greatest failed assassination attempt in the history of the universe. But you don't know that until you get to the next season, five months later, for the very special season premiere, and you find out that he got shot. But, you know, it's Martin Sheen, it's President Bartlett, and he was tough, and so he figured it out. What kind of day had it been, though? Awful, right? I think we would chalk that up to awful. This morning, I want to step back, and I want to reflect on the year that's gone by. What kind of year has it been for Reach Church? Good, bad, mixed bag, bumps in the road maybe, a few highs, maybe a few uh, failures. What, how would you characterize it if you had to characterize it? I love Elijah the prophet. I relate to him. I just love Elijah. He was um, in the Old Testament, obviously, and what kind of year had it been for Elijah up to this passage? Not good, okay? Really bad. He was a prophet in Israel, and it wasn't just a kind of bad year. It was a horrible year. It was a bad life. I mean, remember Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. Best of times, worst of times, incredible opening, and it wasn't the best of times at all for Elijah. In fact, it wasn't the tale of two cities in his life. It was the tale of one dark, dreary, evil city. It was the worst of times. Israel had one evil king after another. I mean, you read it, it's incredible. One after another, but this king won the prize. King Ahab. And Queen Jezebel. I remember my dad's sermons. I mean, he must have preached like 15 sermons on Ahab and Jezebel. They were kind of funny. I mean, it was really, really powerful and funny. I've always remembered those when I was a kid. And these guys, they lead Baal worship. I mean, here they are in this holy country leading Baal worship. On top of that, there's a famine in the land. No water. Imagine that. The prophets of God are being killed. The Priests are being killed. They're in hiding. It's Elijah. He's at the top, but even his guy is, you know, maybe a little bit weak. And a series of events leads Elijah to tell one of his underlings to go get Ahab. I want to talk to him. Elijah said, I want to talk to Ahab. In verse 15, Elijah answered because Obadiah, he basically said, he ain't going to come to you, okay? He's not going to come to you. He's going to kill me. Um, this is not a good idea. Talking back to him, Elijah answered, As surely as the Lord all-powerful lives, whom I serve, I will be seen today by Ahab. So Obadiah went to Ahab 
and told him where Elijah was. I love this next part. I love it. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he asked, is it you, the biggest troublemaker in the entire country? I mean, Elijah just was having a bad year, reputationally, he couldn't do anything right. He's called it the biggest troublemaker by the king. I mean, this is, this is not good. This is a not good situation for him. But, you know, this troublemaker isn't going to just hide. He's not going to cower. He's not going to quit. He's going to try a really, really big thing. And so he challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest. He said, look, let's have a contest between Baal, your God, and my God. And whichever God sends fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice we prepare, we'll know that that's the real God. I mean, that's a lot of guts at that point. And so we pick it up in verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah went on his Twitter account and started tweeting. It doesn't say that, but, you know, modern day. Cry aloud, guys. For he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's going to the bathroom, literally, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. I mean, he went all out, taunting them. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. How far we will go to serve our idols, cutting ourselves doing wrong things to protect our idols. Incredible. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one cared. No one paid attention. Elijah's turn. He tells them, I want you to build an Olympic-sized pool around the perimeter of it. It wasn't that, but modern day. I want you to put fire-resistant material all over it. And let's see what happens. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Can you imagine? I mean, we, we read this stuff and we're like, I mean, this is incredible. And consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, I bet they did. They fell on their faces. There's that worship right there, by the way. Maybe we should try that one week. We could all fall on our faces in worship. We will when we see Jesus. I'll tell you that right now. That's where we're going to be. And he's with us. Um, I'm not saying we need to do that. I'm just saying that it's interesting. The Lord God, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them this. So he's one. And then the prophets of Baal start running away. And Elijah's like, Go get them. Seize them. Seize the prophets of Baal. 
don't let them escape. He wants justice. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and baptized them and made up with them and, and slaughtered them. I mean, that's rough. Um, that's not something you want to put in the annual report, or maybe you do. 400 slain prophets by Elijah. A little graph and all of that. Maybe some pictures of the whole scene. Um, what kind of year had it been for Elijah now? The best of times. I mean, it's the best of times now. It's a fire from heaven, kind of. It's victory in front of his enemies. Incredible. Take out your annual reports, if you have one. Uh, we passed them out earlier. I promise there's no dead prophets in the report. What kind of year? This is a different kind of service if you're visiting with us. Um, it's, it's totally different, but it's a great time for you to be here and get to know us in a more intimate way. What kind of year has it been for Reach Church? Like I said, I think, I don't think I did say this yet, but I'm going to say it now. I think Reach Church is a lot like the prophet Elijah. Troublemakers in the best sense of the word, okay? Okay. Grace addicts, nothing but Jesus parties, wild ones, right? Not cheap grace, but free grace. Hmm. What kind of year has it been for Reed's church? Listen, what kind of year has it been? In all honesty, I mean, in all honesty, cut through the you know what and just say, what kind of year has it been? And I'm going to make a true statement. It has been a fire down from heaven kind of year. That is true, without a doubt. It's the best of times kind of year. Look at the report, page three. Um, this past week, this past Friday night, I had a house full, Melanie and I had a house full of, of young adults there, my daughters and their friends, and we have our monthly family dinner together. And I told them, I said, I want this to go from monthly to weekly, and then I want it to go from weekly to every night on the weekend. That's when I want my family there. By the way, I don't know if I've announced this yet or not, but I'm going to be a grandfather. Did you know that? Yeah. And so here we are, and these have just come in, and these guys are on fire for the church. That's all they really want to talk about is the mission of reach, nothing but Jesus. One of them told me at one point, they said, if it weren't for nothing but Jesus, I absolutely would have walked away from the church a very long time ago. So that great stuff is happening. But as they were looking at them, my daughter Molly, if you know her, she's my mini-me. Um, same kind of sense of humor, all the above. I mean, we're, we're very much alike. And so she's sitting there, and she opens it up, and she's like, ooh, daddy, nice little picture there on page two. And then she says, it looks like your hair may be thinning a lot, though. What kind of year has it been? A thinning of the hair kind of year, maybe, I don't know. So the pages one through eight, you can see those. Just flip through those a little bit while I take a drink. My dad told me, he said, you have to learn how to take a sip of water when you're preaching. I don't know why I, I, it's so awkward for me to do it. Is it awkward when I do it? 
No? So I can just keep doing it the way I've been doing it? Okay. I think I make it awkward. Like what I just did. I know it's true. Sorry. I know I'm awkward. Where am I? Where are we? Page one through eight, you can see the fire from heaven kind of moments. And the theme there is that we have been pushing us, pushing you from the start to consider if you're all in with nothing but Jesus. That's what we started with. That was the sermon series back in September of last year. The beginning of our fiscal year was all in. To be able to say with the prophet Isaiah, here I am, send me. To say I'm all in with nothing but Jesus. And hundreds of you said that you were, and you volunteered in different ways, and you gave it a try, maybe in faith for some of you. And so pages one through eight was just amazing to see how the reach stories and how this is affecting you and impacting you. What kind of year has it been for Fair Hill? We have a Fair Hill campus in Maryland uh, of Reach Church. And if you look at um, page eight, there's a really, really, I'm sorry, page seven. Why can't I get a cool picture like Pastor Peter? I mean, that is like, he's really skinny too. I mean, he looks really good. Um, Young, man, over the days of that, right? And so... At Fair Hill, we have had tremendous growth, 36%, 36% growth at Fair Hill. You can clap for that. You can clap for that. Page nine is Reach Worship. Last Sunday night, how many of you were here last Sunday night for one night? How many of you were here? Yeah, it was, it was really fantastic. And that was a heaven, that was a fire down from heaven moment. It was. The Fair Hill growth, fire from heaven moment. The young people getting it and the older people getting it, fire down from heaven. That's what kind of year it has been. If you look at pages 10 through 13, you can see some of the mercy and missions. You can see that we went to Happy Life Children's Home, and it's amazing to me. Every single person I talk to who goes there, they come back and they want to go back. And it's an incredibly difficult trip. 20-some hours flying, it's uncomfortable, and yet every person I talk to, everyone who goes says, I can't wait to go back. Over 400 volunteers We're involved with Night to Shine. We're going to be doing that again this year. And so there's just wonderful things happening. Our deacons are doing great work. You know, when you see a picture of that ramp, you know somebody built that from our church. And, you know, that kind of work and that kind of volunteering is just incredible. What kind of year has it been at Reach Church in mercy and outreach and in missions? A year of faithfulness, a year of giving, a year of miracles when you consider all of these opportunities. And you can see in the next pages some of the great things happening with our young people reach next. Turn to page 20. One of the things we've done over this past year is we've intensely trained new leaders. So Pastor Steve and I and um, our staff we, and our elders, we would meet with about 15 guys um, from September until Easter And we would just go over our mission and how does it apply. And what was really exciting is that they all came to us pretty much getting our mission, already on board. It was really incredible. And from those individuals, we are pleased to present 
five individuals today in a brief congregational meeting that we'll have after church. We're going to ask you to vote yes for them to become officers here. Now, those of you who are new to our church or maybe you're not used to a Presbyterian church or whatever, it might sound like, you know, five. That's not, the, that's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. To have five men step up at once is incredibly encouraging. That is a fire down from heaven type moment. So I want to ask uh, Jordan and Alan. Can you guys stand up? Where's Jordan? There's Jordan. There's Alan. And where's Doug? Doug, if you could stand up. These three men... I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you guys for stepping forward. I want to thank you for the way you've stretched me over the past year. Um, these guys have been in front of their peers. Uh, they have been, I mean, any one of the 15 men could have been an officer. But these are the guys, there's, there's two others at Fair Hill, and you can read about them. We passed this out last week. We have them today. We've had them online. You guys can have a seat. Thank you guys. What kind of year has it been for Reach Church in the area of leadership development? Historic. This is an historic day. Not overstating it. Amazing. Incredible. Stupendous. I don't know. Let's think of other words. Just really, 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 really good. And this is not an exaggeration. Page 22, Reach Christian Schools. We just have a few pictures there of the kids. What kind of year has it been for Reach Christian Schools this past year? Well, every single day, I mean every day, there's a new blessing. There's a student who their eyes are open for the first time to the scriptures. There's a time when, you know, we, we were able to bring in a new teacher who has a new calling in life. Um, we have times where new programs are built and rebuilt, and it's just been a fantastic year for Reach Christian Schools. What kind of year has it been? Christian education is a miracle. It's just simply a miracle. It takes tremendous commitment, tremendous sacrifice from the teachers. These are servants. These are missionaries in many ways, and the parents. So this past year, again, it's a true statement to say it's been a miraculous year. Look at page 23. As you can see there, we brought in $11 billion. No, not quite. That was supposed to be funny too, and it kind of fell flat. <laughs> this is the church and the schools, so don't get too excited, okay? Um, this $11,354,796, that's between the church and the schools. The church is around $2 million of that. Now, of this $11,354,796, we spent $11,354,795 for $1 left over. I'm kidding, I'm teasing, but when it comes right down to it, this is, these resources are, are limited. It looks like a big number, but there's several schools there. I want to just share with you how encouraged I am by your faithfulness in giving. You give, we don't ever talk about money. We should probably talk about it more. And you give from a cheerful heart, not compelled by law. You give and you give and you give. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your faithfulness to what God is doing here. What kind of year, listen, has it been for Reach Church? You've already heard it. 
great, wonderful, stupendous, faithful, etc. Fire down from heaven kind of year. All of what I've said so far is absolutely true. It's not an exaggeration. In fact, I'm probably understating it. In fact, I know I am. Because you can't even put into words the blessings that happen daily, not in once in a year. It's every day. Multiple blessings. Highs, not middle-of-the-road stuff, but wonderful things happening in ministry. The blessings are overwhelming. So let me ask you a question then. If the answer to what kind of year has it been, that it's been the best of times, why, during a phone conversation with one of our elders, Adam Jackson, just yesterday, did I break down in tears several times together with him and could barely speak? We were talking about church. We were laughing a lot, talking about some of these things, just talking about Jesus Do you know how refreshing it is to talk to another man about Jesus? Not about a vague idea of God or the football game or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But to talk about Jesus with a man's man. It's just precious. It's precious to have that. And we were talking about you guys and how excited we are. And all of the highs and just how wonderful things are. And God is blessing. And then even in talking about the highs, you get emotional But these tears, if I'm honest, because I'm not going to do a a cop-out, they weren't happy tears at that point. They were deep sadness tears. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, it was an incredibly positive conversation. If it's been such an amazing year, why has it been also one of the most painful years I can remember? And having said that, I just want to go back and reiterate that everything I've said is true. Major highs, incredible light, nothing but Jesus, engagement, love, unity. Those of you who are in communications, um, or maybe you are a leader of something, you're cringing right now with what I'm doing. Why in the world would you ruin everything, all the great encouragement, by being so dour? I mean, Chuck, you just had to do that. You just, why can't you just close things up, make the whole thing positive? Why not? Say best of times, best of times. Say it. You weren't supposed to tell people about the darkness, the doubt, the despair, the worst of times. No one wants to be a part of that. You want to minimize the pain. Focus on the good things. Don't even talk about the other stuff. And if you do, just make it like a bump in the road. Like We had a little bump in the road here or there, but we got through it. Let's talk about the good times again. Let's talk about the fire down from heaven again. During the conversations with Adam, we dug deep into the best of time stuff, but we also went there. We always do, and we talked about struggles. At some point in the conversation, Adam asked what I was preaching on today, and I said, I'm I'm going to walk through the annual report and really focus on all the great things God has done this past year. It's going to be celebrative. It's going to be upbeat. You know, it's something that it's positive because it's been a great year in so many different ways. It was going to be the tale of one city. Don't talk about the worst of times. Just talk about the best of times. You hear a lot about Elijah calling fire down from heaven. Just like in the report, 
you hear a lot about those fire down from heaven moments, and that's good. But what you don't see and you don't hear about very often when it comes to Elijah is the very next chapter. Turn to chapter 19. Let's see what kind of year it has been for Elijah. Fire down from heaven kind of year. Ahab tells on Elijah, tattles to his wife, all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, run away, right after the fire from heaven. He came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. O oh Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. This guy couldn't win. Fire down from heaven. The famine is handled, so there's now rain. And still they're coming after him. And he runs. And he sulks. And he's depressed. I wouldn't even say sulks because that's a negative way of saying it. I'm not sure it is. This was deep depression that he had. He goes, you don't hear a lot about that. What kind of year had it been for Elijah? A fire down from heaven, absolutely. But it was also the I've had enough kind of year. Take me, Lord. Let me die. No matter what, I can't please people in my life or get even people to protect me. I got them rain and still... These two won't stop. Remember in our God-sized conversation sermon series, I'm sure you don't, but I do, um, we said this statement, a great truth is a truth whose opposite is also a great truth. We unpack that theologically. It's incredible. As Adam and I continued our conversation, I said this, I wish there was a better way to bring our congregation, to bring you guys more into the, the, the despair times. It's not a lot. I shouldn't say that. See, now I'm, now I'm, now I'm, now I'm fibbing. It's, it is a lot. It's always there. It's always there in your life. It's always there in my life. But the, the times when it happens to bring you along in the journey, I don't think we do that very well. I'm guilty of that. I just want to talk about the good stuff. I just want to talk about the highs. And there is something to be said for that. That is what we're called to do at some level. But there's also these worst of times, the seasons of darkness. And I, I, we were saying, I wish we could bring our congregation, because listen, this is why. Because I cannot tell you, listen, please listen, how much I have grown over the past year, year before, whenever, through tough times. How much I've been dependent on Jesus. How much more I've been dependent on people around me and deep friendships. 
And I want our congregation to experience that. I mean, some of the tears that I, were, I was crying at that point were emotion over how much, in fact, I would say 90% of it is emotion over what God's doing in my heart and life, if I have to be honest. And just the way he's changing me and forming me and unbolting me from this world and freeing me, being free in Jesus and not feeling responsible in some ways for other people and how they behave or how they treat me or whatever, all of those kinds of things. It's such a freeing feeling. I mean, I love my life. <laughs> love it. I love being your pastor. I love being in this church. But I love, in some ways, I'm learning to love all of it. All of it. The highs, the lows, the best of times, the worst of times. I hope that makes sense. Because listen, God doesn't speak to us always as loudly in the best of times. He does, but he really speaks to us in the low times in our lives. That's when we really hear the voice of God. In chapter 18, fire down from heaven, but you see who's talking there. Elijah, he's taunting, you know, he's strutting around. We don't see God's, hear God's voice there. God was at work, but he doesn't hear his voice. It's the worst of times when he hears his voice. Look at verse 9. It says, there Elijah went into a cave and stayed all night. Then the Lord spoke his word to him. There it is. The still, small voice. That still, small voice. Not the, not the fire. Still, small voice. Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? The problem is when we ignore the worst of times or glaze over the times of despair or don't talk about the seasons of darkness and when we don't want to, you know, have mean talk about foolishness of other people or whatever, or we're too scared to talk about the times of doubt, deep doubt, we miss out on pure gold and being formed to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's when the good stuff happens. The refining happens. When our answer to what kind of year has it been is it was the best of times, period, that's not only dishonest, but we're missing out on gold. I want to do a better job of somehow bringing you into that so that you can experience what I'm experiencing. I know you're already experiencing that and more for many of you. We're missing the good stuff. We miss the treasures in darkness. We're missing many times when we leave that out the still small voice of God. C.S. Lewis, pain insists <clears throat> upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What kind of year has it been at Reach Church? One of the best ever. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, it's, we're, God is doing incredible things. I mean, even now, with, it's just amazing. I can't, even, I can't put it into words. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. It's just been a wonderful year. It is the best of times. But what kind of year has it been? 
Not, well, there's some bumps here and there. Not, well, we have this one thing that happens here or that. No, it's been one of the hardest years in some ways. And it's not just one thing. It's something that is all the time, and it's all the time with us in many ways. I'll explain that in a minute. Every week before I preach, I have what I've called in the past this agogic moment. The agogic moment in art is when everything changes. It's that moment, the arrival moment of the symphony, and you just, it's when you just are gripped in your heart. And as I'm talking to Adam and we have that conversation, I think we both, it hits both at the same time. And it's this. And it's not that profound, but it's so true. The best of times, the worst of times, the darkness, the light, the hope, the despair, the life, the death, the foolishness, the wisdom, the belief, the doubt, they're always together at the same time. They're always happening in our lives. You know that in your life. You know that's real life. You know that you can look at your child or your grandchild and your heart can hurt because you just love them so much. I mean, you don't know how much more. And they bring you such joy. Friday night with my family. I was looking forward to that all week. Just such joy to my heart just to be with them and just to experience them and having a a grandbaby on the way. It's, It's amazing. It's incredible. You love them so much. But you know what else? You love them so much. I mean, it hurts. It's pain. It's anxiety. It's wanting them to get it, wanting them to love Jesus. It's all of those things and those two things. They're always with us in life, all the time. You have it in your life. I have it in mine. Sometimes it's in the same day. No, sometimes it's in the same minute. The big thing, the hard thing. And it isn't as if the hope, the despair, the light, the darkness, the joys, the sorrows are side by side. They are, but it goes even deeper. Many times they're intertwined and it's almost indistinguishable. I remember when we went to the cemetery. I've told you this before. When my brother died in 1993. And on the way there, we're in the limousine. And the entire way there, we're laughing. We're telling stories. It was just, it was, I can't explain what it was. And the laughter, the joy, going to bury my brother, okay? And then we get there. You step out. I can still feel the heat in that July. 100 degree heat, that thickness. It just hits you. And the second you walked out, we just all started sobbing to see my dad standing there over the grave of his 16-year-old son. I mean, it was, it's indistinguishable at that point. The highs, the lows, the pain, the victories, the joy, the sorrow. I mean, it's, it's right there together all the time. And many times in the church, we always want the highs. But when the lows happen, and they're always there no matter what, it's not one thing. It's every day one of you is hurting. Somebody's hurting in our congregation. There may be someone with a conflict here, over there, or whatever. I don't know of anything. But at the same time, it's, there's always things like that going on. And we want those highs. But when it comes to the lows we got to make, make sure we minimize those things. Don't talk about that. Don't have a 1 Kings 19. Just cut that one out. Let's just have fire down from heaven all the time. And I'm guilty of that. You know, you want to accent that. But the other stuff, man, it's hard, isn't it? 
Because you, you do want to be positive, you do want to be grateful, but at the same time, look at Scripture. I mean, it's all over the place in Scripture. What kind of year was it? I'll give you an example. What kind of year was it for Noah? Remember him? No one ever spoke to Noah. They all laughed at him instead. Working on his ark, working all by himself. Holy Noah saw it come. Do you guys know this, men? Hooters. You guys don't know the Hooters? Does anybody? I just want to see one hand. Okay, thank you very much. Hooters, 40 days and 40 nights. He takes his sons and daughters with him. Yeah, they were the Israelites. It's an old song, obscure band. What kind of year had it been for Noah? I mean, at that point, he's right. His family's right. They're proven right after being made fun of for building this stinking ark. So he's right. The entire rest of the world is wrong. I mean, that's like a dream scenario for me in my flesh. My wife will tell you that. I mean, that's just like, and that's sinful, but that's what happened. Best of times. I mean, you could put in our congregational report um, species of beetles. There's like 5,000 of them. And, you know, he goes through and he has two of each or whatever, and you could, you know, put a little chart in there and show all the stats of what this guy accomplished. Best of times. But then right after, I mean right after, worst of times. Noah gets drunk. Ooh, drunk. So drunk that he shames himself. That he's naked in front of his family. That's gold, though. I mean, that is gold for you and me. It's grace gold. Because it shows us that I don't care who you are, how godly you are, your honor, your integrity, whether you're good or bad, whether you're a small group leader or a deacon or elder or whatever, I don't care who you are, your greatest sin may be in front of you. And there's grace and forgiveness and mercy for you, even in that. That's gold. We don't get that without Noah being drunk. The best of times, Moses is on the mountain high above the golden calf, went to get the Ten Commandments. But worst of times, yeah, he's just going to break them in half. The Ten Commandments, that is. He's going to break the Ten Commandments in half. Those Ten Commandments that we want at the courthouse and the schools and all that, he's going to break them in half in anger. Right? Wow. Why did he do it? Because the people with his brother are building a golden calf. Moses is up there. He's there with God getting these Ten Commandments, the people can't be patient. They build a golden calf and worship it. I mean, our idols, man, they are powerful. Our idols blind us to truth. Here is truth in the Ten Commandments right there in front of them. The power of God, the glory of God, giving that law, that perfect law. And here they are, blinded by their idols, worshiping a golden calf. And before I judge them too much, I'm glad it's there. Because if there's hope for golden calf worshipers, that's good news for me. Because I am a golden calf worshiper. And so are you. 
and God uses golden calf worshipers because golden calf worshipers are all of us. All of us here. I don't care who you are. We are blinded by our idols. So maybe the annual report could have a big, bright, golden calf picture to show the worst of times and to remind us of the battle that we're in. The best of times is Jonah finally, I mean, finally obeying God and preaching to these stinking Ninevites. That's my word today, sorry. Melanie will tell me later not to say it ever again. And they, he, he preaches finally. It's like a five-word sermon that he preaches. The entire city repents. I mean, this is the most successful sermon in the history of the universe. I mean, this is, this is in, incredible what happens, but it's followed by the worst of times, brought on by Jonah and his pettiness and his victim mentality on everything and his littleness. Jonah said, I knew it, God. I knew you were just going to show grace to those people. I'm not like them. I knew you were too merciful, too gracious, and you're just showing them that grace. And this petty little man sucks. But listen, when that happens, when there's Ninevites like you and me, we can be thankful, or when there's somebody treating you that way, that God's grace is wider, greater, it's bigger, it has no barriers, it doesn't listen to the judgments of other men about you, whether you deserve grace or not, whether you're going too far with nothing but Jesus, if that's possible or not. Without the worst of times in Jonah's life, we miss that. Peter, the best of times is Peter seeing Jesus. I mean, Peter, listen to this. He sees Jesus walking on water, right? Just imagine that, walking on water, so what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat and he walks towards him. That would be a beautiful cover picture for an annual report. Peter walking towards Jesus. But maybe a better picture for an annual report would be 10 seconds later. When Peter is drowning, why? Why? Why does he drown? Because the miracle ran out of power? Because he shouldn't have done it in the first place? He tells us because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He didn't fix his eyes on Jesus. And isn't that true in all of our lives? When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we walk on water. When we look away, when we look to ourselves, when we look to others, when we look for validation where it can never be found, Amen. that's when we sink inevitably. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. Without the worst of times, without Peter drowning, imagine how scary that was, without the tale of the second city. We don't get the gold. The best of times is Paul and Barnabas and Mark going on these missionary journeys around the world. I mean, think about it, in the book of Acts. These guys, they go on these missionary journeys. They're planting churches. People are coming to the Lord. There's miracles galore. I mean, you could put a nice map in the report showing Paul and Barnabas and Mark and all they did. But there wasn't a small problem. There was a small problem when they decided to go back out. And I'll tell you what it was. There was a huge problem, a worst of times problem. There was a relational breakdown and I'm taking my ball and going home moment between grown men. Yeah. 
because Paul and Barnabas have this falling out, so much so that Paul and Silas go this way to do their thing, and Barnabas and Mark go that way to do their thing. There is nothing new under the sun. Do you know, for the rest of Acts, all the horrible things they said about each other? You know, Paul's saying this about Mark and Paul and Silas, they're, they're kind of like in cahoots together and they're worried about their people. And over here, Barnabas and Mark, they're doing that. You know, all those, all those verses about that, there's not one of them. Why? Because they saw that and they saw that God was getting glory through their efforts, through their work, and that Christ builds his church. It wasn't the end of the world that there was this falling out, this splitting of ways because they were on mission. Christ builds his church. You know, as we're listening to this song, as we were singing it earlier, you are good, you are good, you are good. Sometimes repetitive songs can get, you know, you're not sure what to do with them. But I love this one, you know why? Because every time we sing, you are good. I want you to think Maybe, well, you have to think very quickly. Maybe later you could do it. Let the blessings come to mind, how God is good to you in this way and in that way and in bringing you here today. But I also want you to start thinking about how God is also good in the worst of times, in those times where you feel like your heart's coming out of your chest. God is still good then. He's not gonna let us down even in that moment. God is good, He is good. And the way that He is the most good is through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's through His Son on the cross, dying for you, dying for me, the one who had done nothing wrong so that we could live the life that He lived and die the death that He died that I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's enough. Christ is enough. That is the goodness of God at its apex.